Lux, what are you doing? I can't go with you, Ahsoka. You... you know that. But... but we can try. Uh, try to change things... together. We make a pretty good team, don't we? Don't worry. We'll meet again. I promise. Be careful, Lux. It's time for Send in the Clones! Join your hosts, Uto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to Send in the Clones! In this episode, Ahsoka's old friend Lux Terry goes rogue, enlisting the help of the dastardly Mandalorian Death Watch. But Ahsoka and R2 combine to foil the evil brigands, unleashing a droid squad to cover their daring escape. Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho on my first ever watch of The Clone Wars, and next to me in the dropship on his third ever watch of The Clone Wars, he's the Ahsoka to my Lux Terry. It's your trusty pal, Robbie. How's it going, everyone? We're going to talk about the 80th episode in the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's written by Christian Taylor and it's directed by some guy by the name of Dave Fi Loni Dave Filoni. I don't know. Some. Anyway, it's season four, episode 14, A Friend in Need. So, Robbie, I think there are two things in this episode, at least, that you were going to have remembered. So let's find out if you did, and if there are any other things you remembered about this episode before you rewatch it again this week. When it started, I was like, I don't know what's going on here. And it's because I remembered the Death Watch stuff. You know, as, as soon as they got to Karlak, I remember that i didn't remember the beginning of it you know when lux comes in to you know basically call out dooku in front of the uh these historic first ever meetings right yeah and this kid decides hey i'm just gonna bust into the middle of them yeah he's got a lot of gumption this kid he's got a lot of moxie yeah it just seemed it's kind of seemed out of place and it was almost like why would they even allow him to talk sure. you know what i mean but no uh you know we see the the i guess the further adventures of death watch yeah, it's kind of a weird one. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts are on this, too. So, are you saying you didn't remember that the Darksaber is in this episode and also that you didn't remember that Ahsoka beheads four Mandalorians at once? Or I should say beheads four Death Watch troopers at once because I, I don't know if technically it's an insult to Mandalore to call them Mandalorians. I don't know, Robbie. You tell me. Well, for me, I mean, the Darksaber is, is definitely something that's... It's kind of like the White Whale, it's the Holy Grail. It's just a weird weapon that I really look forward to seeing. But uh, the moment that's, you know, probably the most iconic is the is the four the four Death Watch people being beheaded. I mean, that's I mean, wow. I mean, how can you not I mean, look, how can you not make that the shot of the episode? Yep. It's so iconic. There are memes about it. When you look up Ahsoka on Google, you know, you see all the GIF images or different JPEGs or whatever. That is going to be one that comes up. So, yeah, I'm, that's the one thing that I remembered. But, yeah, it's just, I guess it's just you get another layer onto Death Watch, I guess, and what these people are about. And it's, I guess it's strange to me. And I was wondering what you thought about it. Strange in what way? You mean it's... You, you mean there are unexpected elements to it? Because, I mean, pre-Vizsla in one 
seems changed from when we first met him. He always seemed like a bad guy, but here he seems unhinged and less like a commander of a soldier unit and more almost like a leader of a biker gang or something. He's like a yes. he's such a loose unit in this episode. Um, was that part of it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's just because in the previous episodes with Death Watch, they seemed like, yeah, they were definitely an outlying group, but they almost turned Death Watch into like a group of pillagers, you know? Right. Or this like, well, we're just going to cause havoc and you know what I mean? It just, it's, I guess, aimless because it was, I, I don't know, like droid torture. I mean, it just seemed strange to me. I guess maybe it's because I felt like Death Watch was, look, they're, they're definitely a terrorist group. But I felt like they had honor. You know, there was there was a level of honor that was still there. And here, there is no honor. I guess that's why I feel like it, it's, it was just a little strange. And that is something that I didn't remember watching it. Was that feeling of, you know, that these are basically just a bunch of criminals. And just dishonorable. And, and so I was wondering, like, how you viewed that. I felt like it was a comment on the way that living the way they live has corrupted them. You know, they maybe started out with a sense of honor, but by now they've become corrupted. And part of that maybe that Previsler himself has become corrupted, and so he's corrupted his troops, or maybe they were all just corrupted in the first place. I mean, they were all kind of outlaws all along, and they just have maybe their discipline is falling apart. Maybe their mission has turned out to be harder than it was, and that makes it hard to hold discipline together. I don't know, but I, I guess I accepted where they were and just took it as a comment on how... Like I said, the the way that they're living has corrupted them. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see that. But I think for me, it was, I wouldn't say shocking, but it was kind of a surprise to me. I guess it's because, I, like I said, I felt like Death Watch had a lot of honor. And I guess when your goal has been, I guess, taken away from you or the goalpost has moved anyway. Sure. That maybe, like you said, it's... I feel like maybe they, like you said, they, they lose their honor and they, they lose their focus and they turn into people like this. But I don't know. I just found it a little weird. I was like, really? De- torture droids? That I guess it's just because I see droids as more than just machinery. And that's definitely how the droid torture thing plays. Like we are supposed to instantly see that this is a signifier that this group of man oh, i keep calling them mandos that this death watch group are the bad guys you know the way that they're treating these droids and you think of the way that you know bad people treat animals and it just has that instant analog just the way that idea is introduced in this episode you know works really well and speaking of being surprised robbie we see a lot of mandos with a lot of helmets off in this episode I, i'm gonna keep calling them mandos when we're doing that but maybe there's this law around mandalorians and especially now i mean I mean, I try not to date these things, but what the heck? We're in the middle of The Mandalorian right now, and one of the key, you know, fun elements of that show is that the Mandalorians never take their helmets off. And these Death Watch characters, they do take their helmets off. So maybe is that another maybe signify that they are a corrupted gang? You know, they've lost their honor, they've lost their code. Is there any story there, or am I reading too much into it? No, I mean. I mean, they've got to eat, to be fair, right? To be fair, they're sitting down to eat, so it makes sense they've got their helmets off when we see their helmets off. Right, right. But at the same time, it's one of those things where, you know, it's sort of a new idea in a way in The Mandalorian, especially since we've seen plenty of Mandalorians prior to this new series that's on Disney+, and it's awesome. But anyway, it's one of those things where you have to wonder, is it because, like you said, like they've lost their honor, they've lost their code? Or is it, are they not true to that Mandalorian spirit? 
Death Watch is definitely outside of that, but I thought that was the whole point of them. You know what I mean? And that's the reason why I found this to be a little strange, just because I, I felt like I kind of viewed them as the predecessors of what we see in The Mandalorian, the the series. Okay. But at the same time, now I'm thinking about it, it could be just because the series Mandalorian takes place after Return of the Jedi. Right. And this is back before Episode 3. So who knows how their culture has changed in that time. Yeah. So maybe that's like sort of a new thing, is, you know, you can't take your helmet off. Look, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. That's just my thoughts on it, though, is that either... These people are so unhinged and so off the code of the Mandalorians that they're acting this way. Or what we see in the series Mandalorian is a new thing or a a newer sensibility, a new code. I don't know. Or maybe they're getting back to some kind of true code. I mean, who knows what it is? Yeah, well, there's still at least two seasons. I mean, three seasons with the new one coming up. So maybe we're going to find out more about them there, Robbie. But speaking of things that are new, we haven't talked about Ahsoka in this episode. And we get to see if couple of new things for her especially in her relationship with Lux Monteri you know earlier on we get this very focused on moment where she takes his hand and then later we get to see they uh, you know there are maybe some sparks between these two of course they get the classic scene where someone has to kiss someone else to keep their cover intact and uh speaking of that keeping cover intact we're getting to see Ahsoka act again in this episode just like we did during the Zygerian you know the slaver arc and we also get to see Ahsoka kind of being a slave again. Yeah, a little bit. I found that that part of the episode felt a little bit rushed, but at the same time, you know, they kind of have that prior history and the sparks were already flying back then. So it felt rushed, but not so out of place that it was like super distracting. You know, I just kind of went with it. Sure. Yeah, it did feel natural to me. I mean, it didn't feel forced or or anything, you know, was cute if anything. Yeah, and it's one of those things where... God, why why would you go to Death Watch? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. It just seemed like a... I mean, I kind of get it. He's looking for strength. And Death Watch projected that on Mandalore. And then we get there and it's like, well, they're not quite what you expected anymore. You know what I mean? Which I think is kind of an interesting idea. But at the same time, it's like, yeesh, why would you have made this decision? You know, what a... Oof, that's a tough one. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of getting at a theme of corruption earlier on when I was talking about how Death Watch seems to have fallen from their previous, perhaps, uh, code. But if anyone is corrupted in this episode, it's probably Lux himself, because he seemed like a promising lad when we met him in Heroes on Both Sides, but his lust for revenge has made him kind of dumb, man. It's one of those... (laughs) Things where, you know, I don't like to be too hard on the, you know, younger characters in the show because, I, you know, when I was as young as they are, I did a lot of dumb things. And so I try not to be too, I mean, you're supposed to be frustrated with them, but it's a natural kind of thing to make ill-advised decisions, you know, when you're as young as he is. And also, thank goodness, you know, my mother wasn't murdered by Count Dooku, so I'm not right. running at an emotional overload like he might be. But it was, I mean, there was a moment right at the end when they say their goodbyes when Lux says, we make a great team, don't we? And I don't know if it was meant to be, I don't think it was meant to be comedic, but I was sort of sat back and thought, what, you mean, when you get into trouble and, Ah- and Ahsoka rescues you? Is that teamwork? That's exactly I what I was know, thinking. But it was, you know, it was just a funny... It was unintentionally funny, yeah. but it's, maybe that's how he viewed it. I am sure he did. You know, which could be even funnier. Almost like, eesh, kid, you need some help. Because, you know, it's like if that's how you're viewing how this went down, yeah, 
then wow, yeah. <laughs> you need some uh, some guidance. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of guidance, Robbie, that I mean, I don't know everything about how escape pods work, but at the end, when he boosts away in that escape pod, aren't they still in the Carlax system? So this kid has just decided in an <laughs> episode in which he makes a series of, you know, very questionable decisions. He's just decided to head off in a helpless escape pod. And he's still in the same system as this crazy biker gang of elite killer super soldiers who, who want to kill him. And so the, maybe that wasn't the surprise. The surprise that he was making another questionable decision. That, that what was surprising was Ahsoka just let him go while he was still, I mean, while it seemed like he would still be in a ton of danger if he went off in that escape pod. Yeah, I mean, I almost feel like that's a... Now that you say it, it makes, like, zero sense. Maybe that's we're, that's just a... Uh, we're nearing the end of our 22 minutes. We gotta, we gotta wrap this up. Or it could have been... Well, at this point, I think we need to just cut our losses and go our separate ways. I need to get back to Coruscant. You're not coming, so... Okay, bye! You know? Yeah, I guess that's how, how it was supposed to play, but it was uh, maybe a little bit unintentionally goofy as well. But someone who makes a lot of decisions in this episode which do work, that's our old buddy Atui. And when they arrive at the camp, the Death Watch troops are abusing the droids for sport, of course, as we mentioned earlier. And so you know that these Death Watch troops are meanies not to be messed with. And then later, as we see that shot of Atu surrounded by a bunch of happy repaired droids after that early kind of nightmarish scene where they're all broken and advancing on him and surrounding him and begging him to fix them but we know what's going to happen as soon as these guys are all fixed and happy and even before the big old boy asks how they can repay R2 we know what's going to happen and so we get R2 kind of leading a droid squad again kind of like he did at the Citadel and just like in the Citadel the droids spend their lives <laughs> they don't last long <laughs> yeah, so that R2 and his human friends can escape and I found that a little bit sad oh no I totally got the same thing and it's it almost reminded me of one of the Toy Stories. I don't know which one it is, honestly, because it's been so long since I've seen those. But Yeah, I haven't seen the early ones for a long time. But there was one where I want to say that Buzz is... It's either... Gosh, I don't even know. It could be Buzz or Woody at this point. I don't remember. But they're like surrounded by like the all the kind of the mismatched toys and things like that. And he's just like kind of freaked out. Right. And then... I don't know. It's... Because I don't That's think... Toy Story 3, I think. It's the one with the evil bear, right? Gosh, I don't know, man. It's been so long. It, seriously, it's been way too long. And they're, they're really good movies, yeah. but I just haven't watched them in, in a long time. But what I was trying to say is, I don't think R2 did it because he was seeing the future and say, oh, well, maybe these guys can come in handy later. Sure. I got a real feeling of that he was doing it out of the goodness of his oh, yeah. little droid geared heart i did too you know what i mean yeah. it's i don't think he was cynically trying to fix them i just think that i was just made it was sad at the end that they all went out oh no i for sure but i i felt like a lot of times there's a lot of things that happen in gosh any movie really where things are shown for a reason because they're going to come up later but i feel like this was one of those moments where it just happened that way and he was doing it to help sure. not well maybe i can use these guys later to get away you know what i mean yeah. at least that's how it read to me and i felt like you said, it was uh, it was pretty sad to see him just... I mean, they just caused just enough of a distraction to get out. That's it. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to, you know, take these guys out. No, it was literally, let's go out there and be fodder for them so they can get away. Pretty sad. 
<laughs> it was Robbie. But R2's moments weren't all set in this episode, of course. And there was a funny kind of moment that I don't even know really why I laughed, but the way that R2 picked up Ahsoka's lightsabers, just when he found them in the cabinet or the locker or whatever it was on the ship, just the way he was sort of holding them gingerly, just like a human might hold them between the forefinger and thumb as if I they were something too. a little bit gross. I just That was comedic to me. I, I had a little laugh at that. I noticed that as well. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. It was almost like uh, it was either these are gross or I have to be very, very careful with these. Yeah, that was the other thing. You know, he's trying to be, you know, he's holding them gingerly because they are obviously deadly weapons and maybe slightly less deadly, but a useful weapon. R2 saves Ahsoka's hide a second time when they're trying to escape on the speeder, this time with a simple oil spurt onto one of the Mando's visors. I thought that was fun as well. I mean, how did you like that whole chase scene when they're trying to get away on the speeder and they've got the three Mandos after them? Ahsoka shoots one down. Uh, what happens to the others? She just punches the uh, female Death Trooper off. Bo, what's her name? Bo yeah. Katan or something? And that's uh, Katie Sackhoff, which is really kind of an interesting thing. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk, actually, that since they're using these well-known actors that they could come up in later episodes. And I don't know if Katie Sackhoff was one of those that... I mean, I think... I want to say that she even was very, very excited about the prospects of doing more stuff. You know, not just the cartoon stuff, that she would even love to be in a live-action thing or whatever. So who knows what's going to happen there. But but yeah, uh, that is Katie Sackhoff, which is kind of an interesting thing. And I really, really like those designs, too. It's very... The way that her visor is slightly different it's got like almost like instead of it being like a straight line it's like a t it's almost like a teardrop shaped i just really like the way that those look and it makes them more distinctive especially with everybody wearing helmets yeah and speaking of designs we enjoyed robbie the trees on Karlak immediately bring to mind japanese cherry blossoms yep. and then later in the episode we see the houses of the mingpo people which aren't necessarily precisely japanese style they almost seem like kind of a riff on like northern Chinese or Mongolian architecture, but they also call to mind some classical Japanese architecture. Did, did I just sound smart just then, Robbie, when I pretended I know about architecture? Did that work, do you reckon? Sure. You're going to pull that off? Because I'm, I'm no architecture <laughs> expert. I just thought they looked cool. Let's just say that. And also cool in this episode, there's a pretty but kind of oddly distant and synthesized quote of Ahsoka's theme when Lux is telling Ahsoka that he can't go with her and so even you know whatever reservations I might have about that scene about maybe it's unintentionally comedic or maybe it doesn't actually make any sense I still really always enjoy hearing Ahsoka's theme and I like that sweet quote of it but speaking of things that we thought were pretty or nice to look at design wise we've already given away our favorite shot of the episode obviously it's Ahsoka beheading the four Mandos at once but there were a whole ton of other really pretty shots on this episode, Robbie. Have you got any others on a list? Well, I mean, not a huge winter kind of person, but still, Karlak is definitely a place I wouldn't mind visiting. I mean, that was an, a very, very beautiful planet. I just really like the design of it. I mean, it's got a very romantic type of view to it. I really, really enjoyed it. And it was kind of, I think it's sort of thematic, you know, the, the whole... I guess you could maybe call it a budding romance between Ahsoka and Lux. Oh, I didn't pick that up. That's kind of how I viewed it as, as maybe a, I don't know, just a, a representation of their budding romance. But that's how I viewed it. And uh, yeah, that would definitely be a place I would love to hang out. I mean, I don't have a specific shot in mind, but it was just so gorgeous. I mean, I love the, I guess you could call it Chinese-inspired architecture. So uh, yeah, I think it's 
beautiful place. Yeah, those first few shots on wintry Kalak are especially pretty, and especially once we see Ahsoka's roughly hood up close. A roughly hood which ruffles like the roughly hoods in that <laughs> Anakin and Obi-Wan wore in Trespass all those many adventures ago. And one of my favorite shots actually features that roughly hood. It's just after Trailer asks Ahsoka to save her people in one of the saddest moments of the episode. And it's a low angle shot looking up at Ahsoka with a stormy sky above her. And there she's lit by the fires and her expression turns from concern and sadness and confusion to steely resolve. Do you remember what Anakin said about Ahsoka to Master Plo Robbie? Anakin said no one has her determination. And so, of course, we soon see that steely resolve and determination isn't quite enough on its own to take a whole squad of death troopers down. But still, it's just really cool and kind of a poster-worthy shot. And also poster-worthy is that shot of Ahsoka standing up outside in the storm. The moment she realizes R2's new buddies are on the scene and will stand with Ahsoka and Lux, and that also, speaking of the music from earlier, that's accompanied by some very dramatic or maybe even melodramatic choral music, perhaps recalling that Jewel of the Fate style, you know, war choir kind of thing. Do you, did you like that music too, Robbie? I honestly don't remember it. I guess it didn't, you know, strike a chord with me. <laughs> oh, boom. That, I give that four out of four on the 10 out of 10, <laughs> Robbie. That was a good one. And of course, we all know what the favorite shot of the episode was. So before we bring this one for a landing, we need to sum up and give our ratings. So after your third ever watch of A Friend in Need, Robbie, how did you like and where does A Friend in Need sit on that four-star Robbie scale? I got to be honest, uh, I'm not a fan of this episode. Uh, I mean, I love the look of it and technically it's fine. I just don't think it's, again, it's one of those things where it furthers Lux's character but I don't really feel like we learn a whole lot about Ahsoka in this one. And since Lux is a definitely a side character, it's not exactly 100% needed. So for me, this one uh, sits at about a two and a half out of four. What about, I mean, I don't know if you can think of a group as a character, but I like the way that it developed the Death Watch from what we had thought about it before. You know, like you said, it was this honorable, almost like a collection of Ronin I don't know, maybe I'm pushing the samurai thing too hard given the visual style of this episode, but one of the things I liked about the episode was that we did learn that the Death Watch has maybe had their honor code corrupted? I don't know. Was that, although from what you mentioned, you weren't a fan of that somehow. Well, it just felt, uh, I guess it just didn't hit me very well and it, and it came across as distracting instead of like me accepting it. And maybe that's my own brain getting in the way. It's not that I, I disagree with the choice. It's just that I feel like it wasn't earned. Or maybe it's because we didn't get... Maybe it's because it was all rushed. Because I feel like maybe the, a scene with... I don't know. I almost feel like Ahsoka could have called him out on it. And it could have been a, a, an opportunity to kind of explain that, hey, we've been on the run for whatever, and we've been doing this, and things aren't working out. I don't know. I don't know what it needed for that to have worked for me, but it, it felt sort of an arbitrary kind of decision and almost like a wasted opportunity so that's why i'm kind of like on its own i feel like it's not super necessary to the overarching plot sure but that's that's just me that's just my uh that's my take on it yeah and i, I kind of get where you're coming from i mean that sort of development did work better for me but like we've just pointed out there are other things a lot of other things that kind of left me scratching my head but those things are sort of wedged in between a lot of things that I really did enjoy so I've got it at six cherry blossom I mean I, can't, I probably can't even call them cherry blossoms because we don't know what the 
what the Star Wars version of the tree is, but let's just say, Robbie, six cherry blossom <laughs> trees from on Karlak out of ten, which you know is still a positive episode for me. But you know, like we've just pointed out, it has a few things which just don't quite work. And that's mission accomplished for season four, episode fourteen, a friend in need. So, Robbie, won't you please let the troops out there know if they want to tell us that we got this wrong and this is actually an excellent episode? What are our communications channels? We're Bucho and Robbie at Gmail, Twitter, and Instagram. That's B U C H O A N D R O B B Y. Yes, sir. And of course, the troops can join us again next time for the 81st episode of the StarWars.com Clone Wars chronology. It's season four, episode 15, Deception. And until then, this is your old buddy Bucho alongside your trusty pal Robbie. And we are out. Remember, you can support sending the clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Bucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Bucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.